Alt, who goes there? Uh, Praveen, it's me, Alistair. Halt! In the name of the law. Oh boy. Praveen's been on the fritz again. Well, I'll tell you what, partner. Ain't nobody gonna tell me to halt. Oh, oh, I, I get it. Halt and partner, I, I see what's going on here. You got it? You, get, you got it? Okay, that's, that's right, Alistair. I am just very excited about the next episode of our podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Donut of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. My name is Praveen Ranganath with radiology at Massachusetts General Hospital. And my name is Alistair Moss from the University of Leicester in the UK. And now on to the topic of today's episode, we will be discussing HALT and the Partner 3 CT substudy. HALT is a concept that has gained a lot of traction in the intimate journals recently and is found when we image bioprosthetic valves with cardiac CT. That's both transcatheter and surgical valves. HALT is short for hyperattenuation leaflet thickening so named for the low CT attenuation material, which has a meniscal appearance on the arterial surface of leaflets. Halt can occur with or without restricted leaflet motion. And why exactly do we care about Halt? Well, Halt has been a specter over managing severe aortic stenosis in recent years. Halt is thought to represent subclinical bioprosthetic leaflet thrombosis. That thrombosis word raises the alarm for clinicians. We think about valvular dysfunction, progressive heart failure, increased stroke risk, embolic complications, and the requirement for anticoagulation, as well as the risks associated with anticoagulation. Unlike clinical device thrombosis, HALT is subclinical and, by definition, occurs without symptoms. However, it's still that thrombosis word and its association with bad stuff that makes us scared. Overall, detecting HALT on leaflets has created a whole load of confusion in the imaging community. We do not completely understand what it means, especially in the context of TAVR, and we don't even understand if there is any association with adverse outcomes. Might it be associated with it? We're not sure. Praveen, that's the crux of the issue, isn't it? It's this, what might be? Well, we aren't quite sure even today if HALT is associated with worse outcomes. Yeah, that's right, Alistair. A lot of recent observational studies and trials have explored the link between bad outcomes and HALT, including the study we're discussing today, Partner 3 CT substudy. Before we delve into uh, Partner 3, let's get a little history. There have been bad fears about outcomes related to HALT with TAVA um, that first arose actually after a suspicious case report back in 2013, where Pachetal described hypotenuation on a single cusp that occurred seven days after implantation of a 29mm Sapien XT transcatheter valve in a gentleman who's quite old, who's 86 years old. This hyperattenuation resolved following the initiation of Coumadin anticoagulation, suggesting that this finding was indicative of a bioprosthetic leaflet thrombosis. This phenomenon then hit fever pitch after a worrisome report in 2015 in the New England Journal from Macau and colleagues. The 2015 study evaluated CTs and outcomes for patients who were taken from three sources, a TAVA trial um, and two valve registries that recruited surgical and transcatheter bioprosthetic valves. This study found that in the two registries, there was a significantly higher rate of stroke and TIA in patients with HALT and restricted leaflet motion compared to those that didn't have HALT. 
That's 18% versus just 1%. However, this difference in strokes was based on HALT, um, and it wasn't present in the clinical tablet trial data. So the investigators in this study, they also found that oral anticoagulation reduces the incidence and the progression of HALT, but clearly more work was needed. It's important to note here that those early TAVR studies, including the first two partner trials, all investigated high-risk surgical patients. But with greater and greater interest in TAVR for lower-risk surgical patients, it became increasingly important to understand potential complications like HALT much better. All of this prompted the FDA to mandate CT-based substudies on HALT in subsequent TAVR trials. This brings us to the partner three CT trial. Right, Bavine. Partner three, as the name indicates, is the third installment in a series of multi-center randomized control trials on the safety and effectiveness of balloon expandable TAVA valves compared with surgical valves for symptomatic severe aortic stenosis. As Bavine mentioned, partner three focused on low-risk surgical patients whom had less than 4% predicted mortality risk at 30 days post-procedure. For the original Partner 3 trial, 1,000 patients were recruited across 71 international sites, primarily in the US. For the CT substudy, only those patients at sites which were able to perform high-resolution 4D CT were included. That was 435 patients in total. The investigators aimed to establish, one, the frequency of HALT, and two, better understand the natural history of subclinical leaflet thrombosis. So of these roughly 400 patients that went on to eventually get the procedure, 372 had a usable 4D CT at either 30 days, one year, or both post-procedure. Now, when I say 4D CT, I mean a retrospectively ECG-gated cardiac CTA without tube current modulation. So these patients got this 4D CT at two different time points, 30 days post-procedure and one year post-procedure. These CTs were then evaluated by a core laboratory for HALT in a tiered grading system based on how much of the leaflet was involved. The tiers were as follows, no HALT, 1 to 25% leaflet involvement, 26 to 50%, 51 to 75%, and greater than 75% leaflet involvement. Leaflet motion was also characterized on these CTs as either normal, partially restricted, or immobile. All right, Praveen, this has been quite a build-up. Let's get to the results. Right, Alistair. So let's start with the question of how common actually is HALT? So the overall incidence of HALT was 10% at 30 days, and that bumped up to 24% at one year out. Between TAVR and surgical valves, the incidence was initially slightly higher with TAVR valves at 30 days, but it was nearly equivalent at one year out between surgical and TAVR valves. This is a little bit more nuanced, so stay with me here for a second on this. Of the 25 patients that had HALT at 30 days and did not get anticoagulated, 14 of them, that's more than half of them, went on to not have any HALT at one year out. Basically, HALT at 30 days spontaneously resolved 50% of the time by one year out. Interesting. And what about those who didn't have HALT at 30 days, Praveen? So of the 217 patients that didn't have HALT at 30 days, 
46 of them, that's a little more than 20% of them, went on to have HALT at one year. Overall, there is a very loose and dynamic relationship, if there's any relationship at all, between the presence of HALT at 30 days and at one year post-procedure. What's more, there were no baseline characteristics in the patients that was predictive of HALT for any time point. And what about restricted leaflet motion? Every single patient with HALT both at 30 days and at one year, had restricted leaflet motion. Conversely, every patient that did not have HALT had normal leaflet motion. Well, okay then. So these thickened leaflets had restricted motion, and this must have had an impact on blood flow across the prosthesis. And the most sensitive measure of this is a change in mean pressure gradient. So one would expect that higher mean pressure gradients would be seen in the whole patients, given that they all had restricted leaflet motion. Well, surprisingly, Alistair, the pressure difference between the halters and the non-halters was not very substantial. A worsening degree of halt did trend towards higher gradients, but even this difference was not significant. Only when HALT was present both at 30 days and at one year were aortic gradients at ECHO statistically higher than those with no HALT at any time point. But to be specific, the difference in the mean gradient was only 17.8 millimeters of mercury versus 12.7 millimeters of mercury. And the p-value of that difference was only a paltry 0.04. All the other pressure comparisons between the halters and the non-halters showed no significant difference. Mm. So there was no big difference in gradients with HALT. And I imagine, as a result, there was no big difference in outcomes either, right? Well, Alistair, these are low-risk patients now undergoing a very well-established, minimally invasive procedure. So the event rates in the study cohort were naturally very low. For example, of the 400-plus patients in this study, there were only four deaths, two strokes, and four cases of symptomatic valve thrombosis. And to be clear, that's a good thing. This means that we are getting better and safer at performing TAVRs, which is very important in this healthier population. However, the problem here is that these low event rates confuses how we interpret the results. Essentially, any differences in the events between the halters and the non-halters was insignificant. I mean, three out of those four clinical valve thrombosis events happened in patients that had HALT at one year. But how meaningful is that data point, really? Frankly, in our current world of impatient and fast-paced science, I'm just not sure how feasible it is to power a study to show outcomes differences when event rates are this low, like in Partner 3. Okay, so let's sum this up. HALT is a dynamic process that we cannot predict using traditional risk factors. HALT is seen more in TAVA valves than in surgical ones at 30 days, but this becomes pretty equal at one year. HALT is seen in roughly one in four valves at one year. HALT might be associated with a minimally increased pressure gradient, but there are no significant associations between HALT and individual adverse endpoints noting the difficulty in adequately powering studies in low-risk populations. Well said, Alistair. Can you help us with the broader implications of the results of this trial? Right, Praveen. It's important to remember that Partner 3 CT study has only collected and analyzed one year's worth of data thus far. There are two issues which play on my mind. 
Firstly, does HALT result in early thromboembolic events? Possibly, although not to a degree which we would routinely start screening for. Secondly, does HALT cause premature structural degeneration of the bioprosthesis? Well, we need to follow up this cohort beyond one year if this hypothesis is going to be tested. Alistair, if HALT really isn't all that bad, what are clinicians out there supposed to do when it is identified? Should we stop them from pulling the trigger on anticoagulating these patients? Great question, Praveen. Remember, in partner three substudy, these low-risk patients were not anticoagulated. For clinical valve thrombosis, anticoagulation has a well-established role in treatment. However, what about this subclinical thrombosis, like HALT? Does anticoagulation hurt or harm patients with HALT? Well, a recent sub-study of the Galileo 4D trial has explored exactly this question. And we'll cover the Galileo 4D sub-study in an upcoming episode on this podcast. Alistair, this has been a really fun episode. I'm sure that there are plenty of structural imagers, of interventionists, of the HALT non-believers out there that have a lot to say on this topic. Please join us and continue this conversation online on Twitter at heart underscore SCCT, hashtag YesCCT. Thanks, Praveen. And thanks again to our listeners out there. If you like what you hear from us, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Once again, this is the Donut of Destiny. Cheers. Cheers.